All right, thanks, Kyler. What's up, guys? My name is Cole Williams. I uh, <clears throat> got to actually speak here last April, and it was a ton of fun. This was my, that was my first time ever getting to come here on a Thursday night. I think it was maybe actually the first salt company I'd ever been to that wasn't an Iowa City salt company. I've been working there for the last three years, was a part of that all throughout college, played a huge walk, or a huge... Uh, just impact on my walk with Jesus. It was the first Christian community I had, so it's always a blast to get to see what God is doing in places outside of Iowa City, you know? So that's, it's just such a gift, and especially to get to continue on in this Who is Jesus series. And that, I think, is just such a sweet, um, what, what just a cool sermon series to get to go through and talk about our King. Um, so, about three years ago, yeah, this would have been October of 2019, I, this is my senior year of college, I had recently started uh, thinking that I should take my Bible reading more seriously. I'd been following the Lord for about seven years at this point and had been kind of like losing the battle of consistency when it came to reading my Bible. About July of that year, I really started making a push for it, but it felt like it was kind of drifting off. Then in October... I got offered a job to be a resident with Salt Company in Iowa City, and that was kind of the kick in the pants for me to be like, okay, I feel like I should actually start reading my Bible, especially since I'm going to be working for a church. I figured I should probably get that part of my life down, the consistency when it came to reading. And one of the first books that I read was the book of Acts, because it talks about the early church, and I thought that would be really helpful to read, and it's very interesting. All these things are happening. But when you read the book of Acts, what you'll see is you'll see a lot of people who are interested in Jesus, and while there are a lot of people who get saved, you see these crazy revivals, you see these crazy moments, you also see a lot of people who reject the gospel, right? A lot of people who hear the message of Jesus and say, I don't want anything to do with that. In fact, I'm going to try and kill you because that's how much I don't want anything to do with that, which is pretty crazy. Um, because what we see is that there was always... There was always like something, right? Always some reason why these people would get off the bus. It's like this aspect of the gospel, I want nothing to do with. I can't get behind that, and so I am going to go and do my own thing. For the Jewish people, it was when they heard that Jesus was the Messiah because they killed him. And so they were like, well, we don't want to admit that he was the Messiah. And also that the gospel was for all people, not just the Hebrew people, right? So like the Gentiles being welcomed into the kingdom of God was crazy. So a lot of times you'll see with Stephen and with Paul, you'll see that'll usually be the time when like they start getting stoned. Um, for the super wise Greek people, it was when he talked about people rising from the dead. They're like, uh-uh, doesn't make any sense to me. I'm too wise for that. I'm not going to believe that. See that when Paul is in Athens in Acts 17. <clears throat> So the gospel is this glorious truth that if we are in Christ, we have found so much hope and joy in, but it's also extremely offensive and that it has something directly to say to each lie that we would believe, right? Each lie about how the world works, about how we are, about who God is, every lie that we believe about that, the gospel has something to say about that, which is why so many of these people will get off the bus and in a modern day, here's one that I hear pretty often. Um, so yesterday, 
I was hanging out with a student who I just met last week at Salt Company in, obviously, Iowa City. And I, he, it was his first time going there, had kind of grown up going to church, had been bullied, and so he stopped kind of coming around, has kind of a unique church background. So I just want to hang out with those guys. And as we were kind of talking, and I was hearing his background on it, I don't even know how he started talking about this, but he randomly just kind of started saying, like, yeah, and you know what? I, I strongly believe, this is my strong belief, that if you're a good person, regardless of whether or not you believe in Jesus, you'll get into heaven because you're trying your best. Pretty much what the belief there is that Jesus saves everybody except for the really bad people, right, according to our own standards of what bad is, and that in the end, the thing that saves us isn't actually Jesus' death on the cross, but it's our moral standing before God. It's pretty much saying you don't need to be a Christian, you don't need to call on the name of Jesus to be saved, you just need to try your best, and God will reward you for that. Right, if you're just like trying. Here's the problem. Tonight, we are going to hear Jesus say one of the most modernly, like if he were to say it today, this would be probably the most controversial thing of all the things that Jesus said. So, John 14, 6, we're in John 14 tonight. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. And notice that Jesus, he doesn't add a caveat to that or like a little asterisk to that that says no one comes to the Father except through me, dot, 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 unless you try your best, right? Unless you like work really hard and you're like, you know, you're trying to be a good person. You're trying to, you know, Treat this world like you would treat a cabin at church camp growing up. Just like leave it better than you found it. If you're doing that, that's good enough. But essentially what we see Jesus saying here in John 14, 6 is this. You don't know the way. You don't know the truth. And you don't have life. On your own, you don't know or have any of those things. The only way that you know or have those things is if you know me because I am those things. And so if you don't know me, you don't have them. It is only through me. And here's, here's what I'm going to say tonight. The greatest comfort that we can have is in this exclusivity of Jesus. For him to say, I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am the only life. But in order to fully understand that, we have to look at Jesus' words in the context that he said them. So we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 tonight. It's going to be kind of where we're honing in on. So if you guys want to look there in John 14, Jesus starts out, he says this, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. 
Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's what's really interesting about the context of what Jesus is saying here. So if you read John 13, what Jesus had just told them was, somebody's going to betray me. I'm going to die because of it, which means I'm going to be leaving all of you guys. And Peter, actually, like the most faithful of all the disciples, you're going to deny me three times. He just sprinkles that on him. And then Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. That's what leads him to start saying this. So in a deeper sense, the biggest idea of the night would be that the greatest comfort we could ever have is to someday be in the presence of God. But this comfort only comes through Jesus. Only through him. And if we don't know him, then we won't have that comfort. Because he is that comfort. And that brings up attention, right? That brings up attention because the tension that we read in this text is, is a heaven that is exclusive actually a heaven that I want to go to? Because if God is love, then how could he exclude certain people from heaven? Why doesn't he just let everybody in? Is that a place I actually want to go? Is that a God that I actually want to believe in? That's the tension that this text speaks into. And that is where we are going tonight. And I'm going to say that that heaven is absolutely a place that you want to go to. That heaven is absolutely the place that you want to go to. And tonight, tonight, we are going to be looking at three reasons why it can actually only be through Jesus. That we get into heaven, that we get into the joyful presence of God. And guys, I think we'll find that these three reasons are actually really, really good news for us. As we just spend time... In God's word. So reason number one, it only being through Jesus promises us that there will not be a heaven without Jesus. There will not be a heaven that Jesus is not physically present in. That's the first reason why this is such good news for us. Look at verse one through three again. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. If you have a pen and you're into writing in your Bible, you should circle all the times when Jesus says that he is going to do something. Jesus has just given the disciples seemingly the worst news that they could have ever heard in their entire lives. And then he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled because they believe in Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He begins to tell them about heaven. He begins to describe his father's house. He says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And why does he do that? Because the most heartbreaking thing for the disciples was that they thought that they were about to lose their teacher and their friend. Jesus could have said anything in response to what he says in John 13, but instead he says this because that was the thing 
that they needed to hear. And what Jesus tells them is that he is going to his father's house to prepare rooms for them, and soon he will come back and take all of his people with him to be there with him forever. He's going to take them to where he is, and they will never be taken away, ever. The entire hope of the disciples is not that they will be free from suffering. It's not that they'll be free from poverty and disease and sickness, and that someday they'll live some good life in some unknown place to look forward to after this one. But their hope and the greatest comfort for them was that they will be where Jesus is. In his house. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of when I was a kid and my parents would go out to dinner or something. I grew up an only child for the most part, so if this ever happened, I always had the house to myself. And it was always like super cool when I had the house to myself because I could watch whatever I wanted, I could eat whatever I wanted, I would like throw in a frozen Jack's pizza, started the oven mitt on fire one time. That was a crazy experience. So things like that would happen. Here's what also would start to happen when I was home alone. It would suddenly seem like every serial killer in the world was coming for me. Right? It's like I'm hearing all of a sudden there's like all these creaks in the house that I've never noticed before. There's like these shadows that look exactly like a six foot five bulky man who's like coming to get me. You know, I'm like 12 years old. Or here's one if any of you guys had a dog, if your dog would just randomly bark, right? You guys know that one? And then you're like, well, what the heck is going on here? Because they surely know what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So now think about when you're home with your parents. Right? If you guys had like a really good relationship with your parents, think about when you are home with your parents. You never think about those things. You never notice those things. Those things freak you out when you're home alone because you never saw them before. Why? Because when you're home with your parents, you are not scared. It wasn't the home that was the comfort for you. It was the people that you were with who were stronger and who were the ones that you knew that you could trust in. That's what makes the difference. It's not the house. And so this is what it was when the disciples thought about heaven. Life after death, that sounds good. A big house with a lot of rooms, yeah, I guess that sounds good. But eternity with my Savior and my friend? Now that's the kind of heaven that I want to get in on, and that's the kind of heaven that I find comfort and hope in going to. Because I want to be with him. We are comforted because when Jesus takes us to his house, we are promised that he will actually be there. Because he's the one who's initiating and doing all of it. We can't get the idea of heaven twisted in our minds. Because so often, culturally, when we talk about heaven, here's how we think about heaven. We think about heaven like it's going to be this really good place with everything we could ever want. And God is also there. Right, as though God is like a secondary reason to why heaven is where we would want to go. But Jesus actually looks at this, and he kind of flips it on, on its head, this idea that we have. Because he's actually saying that heaven is the greatest place we can imagine because our source of truth and life is there. That's why it's the greatest thing we could ever imagine. That's why it's the greatest place we could ever want to go to. It's only good because that's where Jesus is. And you know what's also amazing about this? 
is that Jesus wants his people there with him. Right? It says that Jesus is initiating going to the Father's house. He's the one who's going there. Jesus is the one preparing the rooms for his people. Jesus is the one who comes back and takes his people with him. Jesus is the one who's telling his disciples and us about this coming joy. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus desires that we would come to his house with him forever in joy. God's house is great and perfect as it is. It does not need us, but Jesus being in that full capacity of love and joy says, you know who would really, really love this? You guys. And so I want you to come in and taste this. Because my father's house has many rooms. That's the kind of God that we'll be with in eternity if we call on his name, if we trust in this way, in this truth, and in this life. And the reality is that there's no comfort or joy in heaven if we do not have the king who eagerly desires that we would be there with him and experience the joy that he has and the joy that he has always had with the Father and with the Spirit. And the first reason that we find comfort in this exclusivity of Jesus and this exclusivity of heaven and what Jesus is saying in verse 6 is because Jesus is telling you, hey, I promise you that if you are mine, I'm going to take you where I am. I'm going to take you to my house. And if we take Jesus out of that, if we say that there's any other way that you can get there, your morality, your good works, who you are as a person, your life circumstance, any other way that you can get there, we completely lose the comfort that Jesus is giving his disciples here and the comfort that he is giving us here tonight. Jesus is telling us that there is no heaven that he is not the absolute center of. It is his. And that's why it's so good. So that's the first reason why it can only be through Jesus that we enter into eternal life. Reason number two, you guys are taking notes, it gives us the way to heaven. Jesus being the way, the truth, and life, that gives us the way to heaven. The singularity of Jesus here, it actually gives us the way that we enter. And we just saw in the first three verses that there's this really good place that Jesus is going to and that this place is what every one of us has so eagerly longed to go to all of our lives. It's where we know that we would love to be. But then look at verse 4 and 5. You know, he says, you know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way Jesus gets done Telling them about his father's house, and the infamous disciple, doubting Thomas, raises his hand because he realizes that he has no idea where this house is or how he can get himself there. And he's like, man, Jesus, I want to be there with you. That sounds great. But I don't know how to get there. Where is it, Jesus? Is it in Capernaum, Azareth? Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Athens, Spain, Rome. How long is it going to take me to get there? What route do I take to get there? What do I do? And isn't that the question that so many of us, both Christian and non-Christian, ask? The same question that Thomas is asking here, because everybody on earth knows that the world is broken, right? We know Everybody, every single person on earth knows that things are not as they should be, right? 
There's some good for sure, but the good only seems to highlight that there's a lot of not good things out there, right? It's almost like when you feel pain on your body, it's because you know that whatever is being done to you shouldn't be being done to you. You were not made for that. That's why you're experiencing pain. It's a warning you. It's a little red flag saying, hey, something's off here. That's what we feel in suffering in this world. So we know that things are broken. And every other world religion and social movement is trying to bridge that gap so that we can get back to the way that we know things are going or things were supposed to be. Right? It's like building these bridges out into this mist, but you don't know. You're just hoping you land somewhere, right? We know that oppression and starvation and poverty and sin and brokenness are not native to this world, and everybody is trying to do something about it, whether they're trying to do something for themselves personally or for the greater good of humanity. There's all these bridges being built out, hoping to find the place that we know intrinsically that we were made for. The issue is that for the non-Christian, they don't know what that place is. And the issue for the Christian is that we so often forget the way there. The mistake that Thomas made was in thinking that it was a place that he needed to get to and that it was a route that he needed to take. And look at how Jesus responds to him in verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reason that the world so endlessly toils to get back to the way that it knows that it was created to be is because it is working without an idea of where it is trying to go or how it is supposed to get there. It's endlessly toiling because it is missing Jesus. So many people asking the same question that Thomas is asking here. And yet, Jesus' answer is still the same. He is still telling us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know, you want to find what you're looking for and how to get there, look right here. At our risen Savior, we find comfort in the exclusivity of Jesus that he is the only way to God, which is what I mean by that. That he is the only way to God because he is telling us the truth. He isn't selling us some lie that we can find salvation in our own moral goodness, but he's telling us the truth that our own moral goodness will never be enough to save us because it is never going to be good enough. We'll just keep building those bridges to nowhere. Jesus is telling us the way that we can be saved, and it is him. Jesus is telling us the truth of what we have always been looking for, and it is him. Jesus is telling us the way to find the life that we so eagerly long for, and it is him. That's what he's telling them here. So stop trying to be good enough to earn salvation. Stop building those bridges. Stop trying to make your own way so that you can find life, and in yourself you can continue on, dead in your sins, and you get to the end of your life, and you're still not led into the Father's house because your bridge went to nowhere. Jesus is the only way. And what's amazing here is that Jesus is telling us, when he's telling us that he's the way, truth, and life, it's actually an invitation to experience that joy and that fullness. It's an invitation to live in that. 
Jesus is saying, come to me, everyone who is lost and is tired of searching. Come to me, everyone who is looking for truth and feels like they found none. Come to me, everyone who is looking for life and feels like they've only found more death. Come to me. Come to me and enter into my eternity. My Father's house has many rooms. Come and fill one of them. We would love to have you. So don't buy into the lie that we don't need Jesus to be saved and that all we need to be is a good person. Jesus is telling us that it is only through him. And you will kill yourself throughout your life trying to be good enough. Trying to be something that you cannot be only to find yourself still in the same position that you were in to start. It can only be through Jesus that we enter into the Father's house because he is the way that we get here. That's reason number two. And he's offering us that. And reason number three, the last reason, that it's good is that it shows us that heaven will be filled with the songs of redeemed people. Heaven's going to be filled with the songs of redeemed people. If Jesus is the only way to heaven, if Jesus is the only way to the Father's house, and that means that every single room in the Father's house will be filled with somebody who has tasted the goodness of being forgiven and being a blood-bought child of our Savior. And what a beautiful chorus that's going to be. As they're singing and living in that truth forever, Think about this. Okay, so the difference between a single person singing and like a beautiful choir of people singing or a single like guitar versus a whole band. Isn't it interesting that God has created the world in such a way that more beauty is found in the unified singing of instruments and of voices than in a singular person? That he's designed it all to come together? The moment is made just so beautiful in that way. Here's what I think about. Okay, uh, so it's 2017, uh, I guess technically 2018. January 2018, my sophomore year of college. I'm from Minnesota, big Vikings fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. Thank you, thank you. Big Vikings fan. It's the, it's the NFC divisional round game against the New Orleans Saints. And if you know anything about the Vikings, you know that we hate the New Orleans Saints because they robbed us of a Super Bowl back in the day. All right, so continuing on, they're down. There's like no time left. Vikings don't have a powerhouse offense. They think they're going to lose this game for sure. Case Keenum throws a bomb to Stefan Diggs. The defenders miss him. Stefan Diggs, the time runs out, runs to the end zone. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment, even if I'm with nobody who really cares or gives a rip about the Vikings, because I care about them, and I'm excited to be there. You know what makes that moment even better? Is that I was in, the, in a house with the biggest Vikings fans I have ever met in my entire life. Moments earlier, my friend's dad is like cussing because he's like, the Vikings always do this. They always break my heart every year, blah, blah, blah. Vikings win the game. Everyone's going absolutely nuts. And all of us are experiencing the fullness of that joy together in that moment. And that made it so much better. And so much more memorable. 
A key ingredient that God has in the inexpressible joys of heaven is the unified song of his redeemed people as they are celebrating in joy in the house, as every room is crying out, and as they worship the Savior who died for them and defeated death. We will all look at the risen lamb in his throne, and we will go absolutely crazy with joy and excitement and praise because we will be with people who are also experiencing that same joy in that moment forever. Man, guys, that's going to be amazing. All because every single one of us came there through Jesus. These things are joyful, they're beautiful, but it's only joyful because we are all unified in Christ. And I think that there are two ways that we can go with this truth, right? We can look at a verse like this, we can look at the exclusivity of Jesus, that only through Jesus can a person be saved. And there's two things we can do. One, we can spend time in hypotheticals, and we can ask about the the man on the island who never heard the gospel, or the person who didn't grow up in a Christian home and never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's the first thing we can do, and we can be paralyzed by that indecision. Or two, we can go and we can share the gospel with that person. We can theorize about hypothetical people, or we can cross the street, or we can cross the ocean and go and share the gospel with that person. And tell them about our Father's house who has many rooms. And our Savior who is inviting them into those rooms. And that route is the route that we see the disciples take as route number two. They took this passage seriously. And they saw that it was only through Jesus that people would be saved. And they saw that the Father's house had many rooms. And they wanted to see those rooms filled. And so they went and they did something about it. And they shared the gospel. And you know what? We are all here tonight because they did that. Because they took that second route. And they said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and people need to know that. And so I'm going to do something about that. It makes me think of, so if you read, I'm, I'm reading through Luke right now, and if you read in the 14th chapter of Luke, Jesus tells this story about this person who's throwing like a crazy banquet. And what happens is the master of the house goes to have everybody who we invited to the banquet come and celebrate with him because it's time for the feast. And if you read the story, what ends up happening is all these people start making excuses why they can't come to the banquet. And so the master gets upset because he feels offended that nobody accepted his invitation. And he sends out a servant to go and grab all the maimed people, all the blind people, all the crippled people, all the... like all the rejected people. And he says, bring them all into my house. Bring those people in for the banquet. So a servant does that, comes back, and then he says, master, there is still room in your house. There's a lot more room to be filled here. And so the master says, okay, well, go out to all the people who are on the road who are passing by, and every single person who will come into the house, bring them into the house because I want to celebrate with them. All of them. Our master is going to see to it that his house is filled. He will see to it that every single room in his house house is filled. And every one of those rooms will be filled with songs of redeemed people.
as we are just singing with joy. And maybe, maybe you actually don't love Jesus and you're just checking this out or you've been thinking about it recently and you're not sure if you do. Guys, the invitation for the room is still for you. And you can turn to your Savior who would just love to have you in heaven with him if you just trust in him as the way, the truth, and the life that we've always been longing for. In Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, and our friend. The reason that it can only be through Jesus that we get into the presence of God, the reason that it can only be through Jesus that heaven is good, that we have hope in it, is because he is the one that we are created to be with for eternity. And if you are his, so you will be forever. Man, guys, that's the best news in the world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that, man, we just have your word. And Lord, thank you that you don't leave us wandering around aimlessly, looking for the way, trying to build bridges to nowhere, trying to make this world right on our own. But God, you actually came down to earth and you lived the perfect life and you died. And he rose from the dead so that whoever would believe in you would have that way, that truth, and that life. And Jesus, here we are tonight. And we just praise you for that. Man, God, what a gift it is to come. And even right now, just get a glimpse in that unified voice of redeemed people. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be stirred for you. We pray that we would rejoice in this gift that you've given us of knowing you. And God, we pray that you would continue to invite people into this room, into your church, and that your house be filled. It's in your name that we pray.